Welcome to the Roll Bama Roll podcast. I'm Wesley Gullett. As always, I'll be joined by Brad Canning. Brad, I know this this podcast might literally be the least important thing on earth this week, <laughs> but hopefully we can we can help give a few people maybe 20 minutes of normalcy. So I want to lead off with one of your favorite things mm. and, and something that everyone listening can be united by because we, we don't have much of that anymore. And that is hating Auburn. Okay, off to a great start. <laughs> All right. Well, we haven't had a chance really to get to this, but Auburn has now won two football games solely based on a missed or blown call by officials. This is not debatable. Are we – that was this year, or is there a different year we're talking about? There's a lot of <laughs> – Yeah. Okay. I mean, more so this – like, yeah, okay, Auburn Jesus every year. Ugh, black magic, dude. I swear to God, it's conjured every year down there on the plains. <laughs> But in the Arkansas game, Bo Nix mm-hmm. absolutely threw the ball backwards. It was 100% recovered by Arkansas. In the Ole Miss game, the ball absolutely touched the returner's fingers. It was recovered by Ole Miss for a touchdown. Both of the, those missed calls changed the outcome of those games. And I say that to say this. Can you imagine the reaction if you traded out the name Auburn for the name Alabama, and Alabama was the one that benefited from those exact same calls. Um, it'd be it'd be nice. It'd be you know a calling of the uh, sports writers that some of them would have a couple heart attacks. But no, to me, it's there's a big difference here though because at the end of the day, they have been blessed with more garbage calls and God type luck. Uh, yeah. Shout out to the Colt down there than any other school, but yet they hate their coach, they want him gone, and they still can't win more than eight games a year. We hear Birmingham conspiracy theories. Like, we hear if a referee misses a holding call in the second quarter of an Alabama game. Like, if it's if it's LSU week and an Alabama offensive lineman holds somebody with eight minutes left in the second quarter, it, Birmingham did it. Okay? Oh, yeah, which makes sure you get your checks in. It's bye week, so. <laughs> yeah, Red Elephant Club. Yep. Send your checks in. It's time. We have heard zero of that after Auburn benefited from two of the most egregious blown calls that I can even remember. How but, is it different? They're in the same state. Yeah, but how do you how do you summarize the difference between two programs better than that? I mean, it, again, it, you know, it, it's literally the epitome of their makeup, and they embrace it for the most part, other than their head coach, like I said. But it, it wasn't just under him. I mean, this has been a tale as old as time, and Am I shocked, you know, at each time that's happened? No, because regardless of Auburn, Alabama, anything, we can all also come together and agree that the SEC officiating crews are the most absolute trash that's on the face of this earth. There. And, and that sort of brings me to my next point, because I'm not even trying to flip this into some sort of Birmingham talking point for Auburn. I am, I am not a conspiracy theory guy to begin with about anything, period. Really, I think this was just simply two terrible moments for officials. So my, my only point is that it would not be viewed that way if this if the same exact thing happened to Alabama. It would be a national meltdown. Oh, no, it'd be a bigger storyline than Nevada right now. So <laughs> Yeah. All right, so I, I, I have a proposal. Okay. For the remainder of the season, when we address Auburn, we should address them with two less wins than their record shows. For instance... Right now, they are the two and four Auburn Tigers, and they should be addressed as such. So I encourage you, Brad, or anybody listening, even if you're just casually talking to your Auburn friends, if you have any of those, just call them two and four Auburn. As the season goes, adjust accordingly. 
Oh, yeah, but they won the Iron Bowl last year. I already hear that one coming back. <laughs> yeah. A lot of good uh, that one did. Got them to that eighth win. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, no, uh, also, by the way, I, I had saw there were some numbers that was put out uh, after last weekend. And Alabama, shockingly, is within the top ten of the least penalized opponents this season. Ah. So, uh, I will pay a large sum of money for the last time, if someone can give me the answer, for the last time Alabama had back-to-back weeks where an opposing team was called for holding on offense. Good luck. And I'll leave it at that. Let me know if you find the Holy Grail during yeah. your quest. <laughs> All right, moving on. Brad, we, we are playing a little bit of catch-up here, but Alabama secured the commitment from Kool-Aid. Big deal. Oh, yeah. Yeah, number one corner in the country, according to the composite, five-star, top 25 overall. We went over this. Top player in the state of Alabama. And also, credit to Nate Oates for the assist. He has recruited Nate Kool-Aid Oates. to play basketball as well. Let's go. Dunking on <laughs> I, I, I'm, not, I mean, I'm not sure if he's ever going to contribute to the basketball team, especially the way that they're recruiting right now, but we'll see. Listen to what Alabama has committed right now, Brad. And, and I'm only going to list guys who are top five at their position in, in the entire nation. And th- this is going to take a second, so kind of bear with me. Right. But j- just to give you a picture of what this class looks like, committed to Alabama right now, number one offensive tackle in the country, the number one center in the country, the number one defensive tackle, the number one corner, the number one juco corner, the number two offensive tackle, the number two offensive guard, the number two wide receiver, the number two weak side, weak side defensive end, the number four dual threat quarterback, and the number four inside linebacker, then five more commitments in the top ten in the nation at their position. There is a real chance now that Nick Saban could end up with the highest ranked class he has ever signed at Alabama. Yep. Well, I'm just, uh, I'm enjoying this purgatory because the dynasty has been dead for quite a while now. And uh, <laughs> When did Dan Wolken kill the dynasty? What year was that? Well, hell, I think Barry, you know, had beat him to it. I think uh, Barrett Salee <laughs> did it after the kick six in 2013. Uh, but I'm not going to sell Dan short. He's still the worst. Uh, so that was after the first Ole Miss loss in 2015. Elisa Lee has sort of come around the corner. Well, he owned up to it, too. Yeah. Uh, so you have to give somebody credit that, I mean, that is, is willing to make fun of themselves or, you know, willing to admit they're, they're wrong. Um, Dan just trying to fight people. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Dan, Dan wants to meet you in Temecula. But uh, also, Brad, if Nick Saban and staff, if they kind of pull off a mild shocker, like landing somebody like uh, the commitment from the defensive lineman from Washington. His name is JT uh, Tuilamau. Forgive me if I mispronounce that. Uh, he, he's one of the top overall players in, in the class. If they do that, it is not out of the realm of possibility that Alabama could land the highest ranked class of all time ever in recruiting history. Nick Saban's guess, almost 70. How many? How many? I, I ask this every year, multiple times. How many records are left, or how many things can he do uh, that he hasn't done already? And and here's another one. But man, 2020 wild as hell because I remember I don't know about six five months ago somewhere around there where uh, well let's just say some conversation on this here podcast taking place about recruiting and not being so good and what the well, you know our pets heads are falling off. What are we gonna do? And uh, yeah. man. Yeah, well, <laughs> things have changed. <laughs> they changed fast. Okay, 
I, I went back to look up the highest ranked class on paper in the history of college football. Do you have? Will you have a guess of maybe like what that would be or who that is? What year? Uh, Georgia, a couple of years ago. No, Florida, know. 2010, which is so weird. That's Urban Meyer's last year. Yes, I, I think it was. Well, I think it was his last year, but maybe maybe his last full cycle. Yeah, and that class did not pan out on the field at all. Jeez, I, yeah, I wouldn't have guessed that one. Yeah, so you think about all of these these crazy recruiting classes that even before Alabama that USC was putting together in the early 2000s. And, and then along comes Alabama, and they're, they're putting together all these number one classes. And, and then you've sort of had like the emergence of Georgia on the recruiting trail in Ohio State when uh, Urban was there. And the top-ranked class ever has been was the 2010 Florida class, who, mm. who barely went 500 you know, through their, their college careers. But either way, their, their final class score total on 24-7 was – 324.62. Alabama right now is at 310.25. So for those that, that don't really know what that means, uh, obviously Alabama's 14 points behind with a few spots left. It basically means if they pull off the mild, mild surprise of, of JT, the defensive lineman I was talking about earlier, I think it's down to Ohio State and Alabama, so it's realistic. Uh, they still have to land some of their top targets, like, say, Brian Thomas, uh, Tom Mize Adelaide, Terry and Arnold. Just those four would put them 0. .4 points behind 2010 Florida. Jeez. And this is a real possibility. Well, uh, another election joke. It's uh, coming down to Washington. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and we expect like guys like Deontay Lawson to move up in the composite. So if they get within the 0. .4 points with those four commitments – we expect the class number to go up with what they ha- already have committed. So I think that would be enough to put them over the top. And well, then you have Nick Saban, who just had his 69th birthday, signing the greatest class on paper ever in year, what, 14, 13? 14. 14. Yeah. Could you have, uh, could you have imagined? No. Uh, I'm just going to say he's, he's leaving behind a, a full cup uh, covered here uh, for uh, – well, not Dabo and not Pruitt. So, uh, but no, I mean, for, it's for Coach Sark. Huh? Yeah, there you go. Future head coach, <laughs> uh, Steve. Oh, yeah. So, I, man, I don't know. It, in today's world, too, with what you had to adjust right now for not only this cycle, but next year's too, because this, this don't end. It's, yeah, the focus is on this year, but obviously you got to be two, three steps ahead. Oh, they're already um, starting on t- 2022. Yeah. I mean, it's already started. Yeah. Now, will they adjust these numbers one more time before early signing? Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, yeah, so they, you could have a couple movements there, too, that add to it. Yeah. So there will be uh, generally a, a big, big movement. Um, they're not going to really get to see a lot of these guys in person this cycle, obviously. So uh, it's going to mostly be focused on game tape from their senior seasons. Right before the early signing period, they'll, they'll have a big adjustment in the rankings, and then they'll probably have another one before the late signing period ends as well. Uh, so, yeah, I expect uh, actually a couple of Alabama guys to move up. Yeah. So, yeah, if they, if they end up with those four guys, I don't know how many spots exactly they have left, but I know it's at least four. I'm assuming if, if it's the right guy that wants to commit, it, it would be more than that. Yeah, that would, that would put them over the top. 
Man, I'm gonna tell you what. I don't know if chapped ass is from uh, side, you know, effect of COVID, but it's gonna be from saving if uh, he pulls that off. Because <laughs> yeah. at at some point, these uh, these not media bros are gonna throw the towel and just, you know, when is it ever going to end? They're going to tap out, and I look forward to that day. If we can ever get this cloning stuff down, well, first person we use it on. Hey, I'm just saying. Kristen had a, a kid recently, so. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Our, uh, our last episode, we talked about people using who's surrounding Mac Jones to downplay what Mac Jones is doing. Then, unfortunately, we got to see him play two full games without really his most prominent weapon, Jalen Waddle. What did he do in Waddle's absence? 297 passing yards at the half at Tennessee. Then he throws for 291 and four touchdowns before being pulled against Mississippi State. I think maybe Mac Jones is good. Yeah, I feel like if they haven't started it already, it's about time to hit up the Alabama ain't played nobody, Paul. So, <laughs> yeah, because uh, they're running out of options here. But, you know, what are you, you going to say? Oh, well, you lose Waddle, but, yeah, of course, he gets all them five and four stars there. Oh, it's okay. always an excuse. Yeah, you know, so you mean we develop players? Well, that's, that's good. Thank you. So, at, at what point? They dab this man up, you know, dab him up. We're good. He's good. And I don't know, like, if he's been to New York, but there's a three-day quarantine requirement right now, so he needs to plan ahead because he's going to be there in December. Yeah, well, he was pulled early at Tennessee also, but he, he finished right under 400 yards. And, by the way, Tennessee isn't dominant on defense by any means, but that side of the ball has not been their issue. They're, they're at least semi-respectable defensively. And State – at least going into last Saturday, had the top total defense by the numbers in the conference. So I'm not saying I'm not saying like Mac Jones went out and did this against the 2014 Seahawks, but it was certainly against at least semi-respectable defensive teams. Yeah, no, I, I agree, but you know it's never going to be good enough. Uh, so we at least have that to look forward to. But that's just another voting total we get to uh, you know worry about here in what a month. <laughs> so. <laughs> Full of election uh, jokes today. Yeah. yeah, well, it's appropriate. Uh, let me ask you this. I've seen most notably David Pollock, and I'm sure you've seen this, but even yeah. others basically say that Jalen Waddell's injury destroys Alabama's title hopes. And it, it's very clear, clearly a huge blow. But would you take it that far? When you're on ESPN, yes. But everyone, I mean, we live in a, an age where you have to be the first to say something or predict something. That's really all it's become. I mean, the sensationalism, the, the hyperbole, it's been around this whole decade, basically, especially surrounding Alabama. But I would just I would just remind them, outside of when Eddie Jackson went down, it's never really been a significant injury, one in particular at least, uh, that just midway through the season, you can go ahead and ship it in. Y'all might as well just not you know get out on the field anymore. I don't see it. Uh, I think there's too much of a dynamic, especially with COVID as well, still, you know, popping up uh, and making guys like Trevor Lawrence sit out. So you never know, you know, what's going to happen between now and whenever the national championship game may happen. Well, first of all, Jalen Waddell or not, I'm still skeptical that Alabama has has really truly turned a corner defensively. Yeah, um, same here. <laughs> yeah. I know they, they, they look better. And if what we've seen over the past 10 quarters of football is is what they truly are, then that's, that's probably enough because mm. they don't have to be dom- dominant. 
They don't. But they have to improve to a point where they can get a guy like Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields off the field, at least occasionally. Like not, not every possession, but at least some. But to me, it's insane to just throw them to the side based on the loss of Waddle. Because right now, there are only three teams in all of America that I think even have a realistic shot to win it all. And maybe I'm wrong. Tell me if I am. Maybe another team will surprise me. But right now, it's Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, and everybody else. Oh, yeah. Well, that in the rapid testing. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and COVID in fourth. But, yeah. Yeah, when the rest of the field is at least seemingly so far behind, I think it's kind of knee-jerk to make that assumption. Alabama's going to score, and they're at, at the very least going to give themselves a chance to win any game that they play because of their offense. No, I mean, I'm not worried about 2011 and 2009-type offensive numbers. Uh, shout out Doug Nussmeyer. What I'm worried about is sinking faster than the Titanic because this defense has not gone up against the quarterback like a Trevor Lawrence and especially like a Justin Fields. He right now, if we matched up with him, uh, <laughs> yeah. it would be uh, Manziel 2014 <sighs> all over again. Yeah. The closest thing I guess that Alabama's seen has been Matt Corral, who is a very talented guy. He was very highly ranked out of high school. <laughs> he ended up, um, well, I'll go, I'll go into that. I just thought of this, but really talent wise, Matt Corral is the closest thing to either, either of those two guys. And he's not close. No. That's so, not even same yeah. tier. So yeah, just because this popped in my mind, Matt Corral. Do you know how he ended up at Ole Miss by any I chance? Have no idea. Okay, he was committed to USC. He is from California. He was USC's long committed uh, quarterback. He was like a five star early in the process. One of the top quarterbacks in the country. He punched Wayne Gretzky's son in the face at school. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, at uh, Arizona High School. Yeah. Oh, it was, yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. It was Arizona. Yeah. I, I think I said California, but either way, he apparently knocked Wayne Gretzky's son out <laughs> at school. And uh, then some question marks came up about character and USC apparently dropped him. I'm so you're having fun. I'm telling you. Florida thought about taking him that uh, everybody thought he was going to end up at Florida. Alabama had him on a visit. They were considering it, giving him a chance. They passed Ole Miss. It kind of worked out for them. They got a super highly ranked quarterback who had a character concern because he knocked out a famous guy's son. (laughs) Clearly that's working out for them right now because uh, Matt Corral can play. Yeah. I know, I know a defense that could use a few guys willing to knock out Wayne Gretzky's son. And that's in Tuscaloosa. So, yeah. yeah. Well, quickly too, one one of the surprises for me uh, offensively, Brian Robinson, Uh, I'll kind of be the first to admit after last season, I didn't really know if things were going to work out for him in Tuscaloosa. I know it. he had moments, and then it was just, who do yeah. you know, what are you doing? Uh, it just head shaking, head scratching, and you really thought Trey Sanders would be able to, you know, take over that role. But then, unfortunately, Scott Cochran yeah. happened, uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, Brian, like this is the epitome of what it's been for Alabama running backs under Nick Saban. Keep your head down, do your job, get better, wait your turn. And you might not be the prominent role, but at the end of the day, you have a large enough role where you're going to garner enough attention to still be respected, appreciated, and, you know, maybe even get a shot at a practice squad later on. Yeah. He's running with purpose. He's really made the most of his carries. And now he he gets that extra year of eligibility, too, with the chance to, if, if he decides to give it another go, he could maybe be the guy next year. 
And and also, you brought up Trey Sanders. He's starting to look a lot more comfortable. So it, it looks like the Alabama backfield is going to be in good hands once Najee leaves for the league, um, regardless. Just wanted to kind of give a uh, quick quick shout-out to, to first, first time uh, in a long time. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Who would have thought? Yeah. But, all right. Before we leave, Florida, Georgia this weekend. Probably going to determine who who Alabama plays for the conference championship. Had you asked me three, four weeks ago, I would have told you the Alabama-Georgia matchup was happening. Uh, now I, I'm not entirely sure. Are you in the same boat with me thinking yeah, Florida could, could actually yeah, win? Yeah, 100%. Uh, I really think it's first to 17 wins. So. <laughs> it may be true. But Florida can uh, score. They just can't They can't defend anybody. Yeah, but at the end of the day, I mean, <laughs> I don't know. Georgia finds a way to, to just take it down a notch sometimes. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, it, it's, it's incredible. You can count on them to just self-sabotage, but at the end of the day, pull it out. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked in this game. They step it up a little bit. I think their defense play fine. Florida's going to get some points. It's the cocktail bowl, though. I mean, yeah. at the end of the day, these games are wild as hell. In a year, like 2020, oh, this cocktail bowl, uh, it might need a cocktail shot. So Their defense probably will look fine because it's going against Stetson Bennett. That can make anybody's defense look okay. Uh, <laughs> I, but let me tell you, and I'll wrap this up right after this. I am actively rooting for Florida to win this game, and here's why. I don't know if you have like any sort of rooting interest here, but I want Alabama to be the first team ever – to beat 11 different conference opponents in a season. And that may not seem like a big deal, just saying it. But I'm, I'm at a point where I'm thinking about Nick Saban's kind of, like his legacy and what we'll look back at once this run kind of end, ends eventually. And every little thing adds up and will matter 20, 30 years from now when you're looking back and you're saying, hey, this was the greatest run in college football history. And th- that would be another accomplishment to add to, to that list. Oh, yeah. I don't know where within that spreadsheet that's you know, about 110 columns deep. Uh, I don't know where <laughs> we're going to put this one, but I agree 100 percent. I mean, it's yeah. staggering. But, you know, honestly, it's it's not even it doesn't blow me away as much in the moment as other things in the past under, you know, his tenure has. And so I guess I am a fog who is complacent. I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, hey, uh, like I said, it may not seem like like a big deal right now. Maybe I'm wrong. But it just seems like winning 11 conference games is – it's history. No, without question. And to uh, cap it off with clown shoes, oh, man, <laughs> yeah. that's awesome. It, it's, it's hard to root for Dan Mullen. I will say that. That is not why – that is not part of my rooting interest, I promise. My rooting interest is Nick Saban won 11 conference games, he won another conference title, and he went to another playoff doing it. It is hard to root for Dan Mullen. The poor guy you know, pays tens of thousands of dollars a year. Scientology, and they don't even like themselves. <laughs> I was about to uh, say to the Church of Scientology. All right, shout out level two. You think no, he's got, I, I has think he met Zenu yet? Yeah, I, I think Florida's going to pull this one out. To, uh, but we'll see. It's always nice to you know match up with. Well, uh, he's been crying a lot this year, so he is literally a clown. So yeah, yeah. All right. Well, this has been the Roll Bama Roll podcast. Roll Todd.